Hey, welcome back to For the City and my conversations about calling with my partner, Jay Brenneman. I hope you're enjoying this series. Hey, early in February, we're going to host a meet and greet uh, to discuss a cohort we'd like to run uh, later in February and March and dig deeper into these ideas around vocation and calling. If you're interested in that cohort and in that meet and greet to talk about it uh, a little deeper, get on over to forthecity.org forward slash meet. I hope that you'll join us in this cohort. I hope it makes sense for you. Uh, For right now, let's get on to the conversation with Jay. Thanks. We've handed over quite a task to the next generation to find meaning in life when we've eliminated the call-er. Why is this such a crucial and critical component to flourish? My experience was not that when I was 22, I got some kind of blueprint from heaven This is a lifelong quest to answer the caller and then go deeper. Well, hey, so welcome back to For the City and our our third session in this little mini series on vocation, on calling, on vocare, the, the Latin that's behind all that, on the idea that if there's a calling, there's a caller. And we ended last time talking some about disintegration, how There are a lot of voices, and even in the Bible story, creation story, there's the other voice of the serpent. We talked about that some last time. Uh, And we're going to make a little move uh, today. Usually when we use the word vocation, uh, you and I are talking about our job, our J-O-B, our career, our professional path. And what Jay and I want to do, Jay is back with me again, uh, we we want to uh, expand the everyday understanding of vocation beyond work. We want to include work. It's crucial. Uh, so I'll just notice this, for instance. Uh, back in Genesis 3, Jay, here I'm, I'm in Bible mode, so put, keep an eye on the clock. We don't want to go for okay. a 30-minute sermon here. Uh, <laughs> but if, you, if we're back back in the Bible story, in Genesis 3, some people, I've, I've run into people around the world who believe that work is a curse, because in Genesis yes. 3, you're right, God tells Adam that from now on, man, the thorns and the thistles, the ground's going to be hard and dry. You're going to have to sweat of your brow. Make your living by the sweat of your brow. And all I want to point out to set some of this up today is that uh, work is not the curse. What was cursed was that suddenly the work became hard. Because they were disintegrated with their creator, with one another, uh, with the creation, that now what was intended to be uh, their vocation to till and keep the garden just got a whole lot harder after what we theologians and preachers call the fall, the fall of man. So work is important and work is hard and work takes a lot of our hours, a lot of our energy and time. But uh, Jay, what's what's your perspective on a broader understanding? I know you and I work a lot with the idea of four key relationships, but you can just riff on that for a minute. How do you understand vocare, including work, but in a broader way as well? Well, um, let me take a slant on your and your yeah. territory. Um, yeah. You know, one of the ways I think about those that Genesis story, and I think what is so key, and you could exposit what I'm about to say, is that the Hebrew scriptures say the Lord said, "Let us us mm-hmm. make man in our own image." Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, I'm in the Anglican tradition, so we think in terms of Trinitarian matters. Yes. But the reason I think that work became hard is that the relationships disintegrated. 
hundred percent. See, like very good. The, you ought to be the, a preacher. The, uh, <laughs> well, let me take the pulpit for a second. <laughs> you know, it it was not as it should be and the best it could be for man to be alone, for a man to be alone. But it didn't take very long for that relationship to get derailed when Eve listened to the outer voice mm-hmm. and... And so, um, yes, to your point, Drew, we understand vocation as being a an effort and a movement toward the restoration of relationship. Of relationship that fundamentally, this is, thank you for that, because that is, that we believe fundamentally human flourishing, uh, true wealth, uh, uh, vocare, vocation, however you want to talk about it, is fundamentally relational. And character. those three, and those four relationships, as Drew and I tend to frame it up for you listeners, is a relationship with the self, mm-hmm. that is, psychologically speaking, yes. the relationship with the other, yes. that's family, Marriage, partner, uh, sociology, spouse, sociologically, Mm -hmm. we're in a context Mm -hmm. of relatedness to the other. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, our relationship to the world Mm -hmm. or to our professional Mm -hmm. life. And then finally, the language we like to use is relationship to the transcendent. Yes. That's the spiritual dimension of life. And if any one of those... Like you can be in the flow professionally, you can have a, you can have a great morning quiet time, and you can be depressed and anxious, and your relationship with yourself is, is really struggling, or, all three of the relationships are fine except you find out that your wife is having an affair and wants to be uh, married to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, at or, first, well, go ahead. Well, or like the woman I mentioned over my lunch the other day, um, her relation, a key relationship with her father was disrupted because of the experience they were having in relationship to the world or their relationship with business and their relationship with a family enterprise. You know, I, I, I first ran across this stuff, Jay, not... To, talking really about Volcari, I was working in uh, developing countries, trying to understand poverty. I was getting involved in Haiti. And I ran across Brian Ficker, Dr. Brian Ficker's book, When Helping Hurts, great little book. I imagine most of our readers are familiar with it, or listeners, but uh, if you're not, you ought to read it. But he makes the case that the negative side of this, uh, not human flourishing, but human poverty. Uh, he cl- makes the claim that financial poverty and suffering is actually a symptom a broken relationship, and and he would use he would use a, a little more kind of churchy language, but he would talk about the same four relationships you just mentioned uh, within ourselves in our broader sociological context, in our work with the world. That's how we relate to the world. Genesis chapter two to till and keep it in the work, and then with the transcendent with God. That underneath financial poverty that we all know about and all are concerned about. It's part of the reason these our listeners, Jay, gave us their emails some years ago. They're interested in helping to alleviate poverty in their cities. 
But underneath poverty are these four relationships that are broken to some degree, to your point. And we've tried to turn that around and talk about putting them back together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that's part of the reason we start with the psychological relationship with the self mm-hmm. and why it's not by accident that the contemporary psychology talks so much about mindfulness and mm-hmm. self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Because what? without a good enough understanding of ourselves, it's really difficult to create a, a meaningful, flourishing external life. So, so you, you know, you, you got tons of training here. But so, say here's here's my amateur as a pastor doing pastoral counseling. There's so much around the broken relationship within me around shame. And I even think back to that Genesis story where yeah. they realize they're naked and they start fig leaf coverings. And there's this, there's something broken in us. Uh, my wife says, uh, my wife's a, th- a theologian too. She says, look, guilt is over what you've done, but shame is deeper. It's about who you are or who you think you are. Uh, isn't shame a big part of this broken relationship within herself? Or how would you talk about that? Well, this is a fancy th- uh, philosophic word, actually, but it's an ontological problem. Ah. That is, it has to do with who we, it has to do with being. Being who we are. And I have heard hundreds, maybe thousands of people in a clinical setting, they wouldn't have used this term, but they described that they were raised in a shame-based family. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that shame on you or a, a kid that's as smart as you are. Uh, why are you getting B's? Yeah, and yeah. why a A minus on your report card when you've been getting A's? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just story after story, and that isn't even using the the absurdly shame based things like sexual and physical yes. and yes. emotional abuse. Yes, yes. that are uh, over the top. Yeah. Well, because I'm thinking back to that Genesis story that the, their 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 fig their shame based fig leaf coverings weren't adequate, so God made a skin covering, and it, of course it prefigured all the teaching around blood and sacrifice that that you have in the rest of the Torah. But I guess all I wanted to say was there's so, there's something about healing that some of that inner these four relationships the inner relationship can be healed. I believe only if you're in the presence of the transcendent, that those those uh, coverings that God provided in the story to Adam and Eve. So it's almost like these four relationships are either facets of one diamond, or they're more they're not linear where you solve one. They're, it's more like a web. Uh, they're somehow interconnected, aren't they? Do, do you agree with that, or would you say that different? Oh no, I'd say they're very interconnected. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know. I'm I'm pretty free to critique my own profession, as you can tell. But one of the <laughs> well, don't get me started on one, pastors. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things you know, when you outsource your uh, need for integration and meaning mm. to uh, a clinical psychologist, mm. they may really be very helpful in terms of. You putting together some understanding about your past and sure. the narrative yes. of your life. The narrative, yes. But they may, but they may not be very helpful from a sociological or from a spiritual point of view. 
Mm. Now, understand, I went to grad school in the 70s where to, 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 um, you, you were to be the objective listener. Yes, yes. And even to bring up spiritual matters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. your view of God. Right. Uh, was uh, sort of off limits. Is a no-no, right? So, yes, I, uh, we, we separate them for kind of pedagogical purposes, Drew, and talk about mm. the psychological and social and professional mm. and mm. spiritual. But mm. really, it, it is much more integrated. Much. That's, that's really our work. Uh, so what Jay and I are devoted to in terms of our vocare is uh, people tell us that they basically are buying uh, integration from us. Because we, we both together and individually deal with some very accomplished men and women who will say things like, how can I build such great businesses? How can I make so much money? And what is it that I just suck as a spouse, as a husband, as a dad, as a family man? How can I be so good in this one area and so bad in these others? Well, they, they are somehow, Jay, siloed. They are somehow disintegrated. Uh, so, okay, so tell me this. If I was listening to this, I'd be thinking like, okay, well, okay, so give me something practical. How do you go about reintegrating if you've become disintegrated? What's, what's that journey? Is it a journey? Or is it a one-time uh, coaching call with Jay Brenneman and Volcare? Uh, what's, how do you begin to put it back together? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I might even want you to, you to try to answer it yourself, Drew. Um, well, I think having a model mm really helps hmm. and and that's why we came up with this uh human flourishing model that mm -hmm. we did drew mm -hmm. because um it's not only a spiritual matter right and, you know depending depending on what kind of uh flavor of the christian community or mm -hmm. any kind of spiritual community um you know you you get these admonitions mm -hmm. that all you really need to do yes. is uh, just have the right theological framework yes, or yes. just improve your quiet time or yes. your contemplation or your yeah. meditation. Read a little more Bible, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're saying uh, that's, a, that's a part of this picture, yes. but what if you are completely misaligned professionally? Well, you can read you can read a lot of Bible verses that oh, have man. <laughs> and you're going to hate work every day. <laughs> exactly. You might can quote Bible verses at your boss, but you're not going to like your job anymore. <laughs> and if you hate it enough, you're going to start complaining to your wife or your husband or mm. your family. Um, mm. Like Janine said to me when I was in a transition. Mm. Um, my wife, she said this about 25 years ago. She said, I think I have about two more conversations on this topic of what you're going to do with yourself professionally. <laughs> she was tired of hearing about it. <laughs> so she said, you might want to pick and choose when we have more conversation about it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what she said as a practical matter. She said, you would be better off starting your own clinical practice and failing yes. than staying where you are. Now, what's the truth that's embedded in that? Yeah, See, that's I tell an, you. That's right. That's an integrative 
yes. statement for a person to say. It's like, I, I know enough about who you are. Yep. You've been that, that you would be better off being an entrepreneur than an employee. If you keep talking about this and don't act on it, it's going to be irritating to me and it's going to start to impact our marriage. <laughs> You're going to be happier as an entrepreneur and even failing at entrepreneurship yes. than trying to fit yourself into an employee hole. Yes. And by the way, we've been praying about it. <laughs> so, so you might want to think, so do think about that. <laughs> See, I love so this. In, go ahead. in one sentence, she basically captured all four of our quadrants for human yes. flourishing. Yes. And see, even just using the word spiritual tends to only go to the one quadrant of the transcendent of, of God. And our clients understand that word God in many ways. Sometimes we talk about God, small g, because we have all sorts of people that we work with. Yes. But, but really, I've, I'm almost not so sure about the word spiritual anymore, because really it encompasses all four of those quadrants, not just the one transcendent quadrant, which is, was part of her right. point, part of her point. I think. It was. That was. <laughs> well, you know what? Some of our entrepreneurial friends, some of my business friends will say things like, the plan doesn't create the movement. So you you can get stuck on planning like forever, like to, to Janine's point, talking about it forever. And my business friends say, movement actually creates the plan. The plan does not create movement. Well, you know, that's a little bit of a trite business saying, but it's to this point pragmatically to our listeners, uh, a part of all this is to keep in mind those four key relationships, your inner life with your context, our, my story, our story, your story in the world through your work, and then the story with God, whether you think that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or a small G, however you think about that. But all of that has to be taken together and just do, just move, just try. Yeah, I know Jay, uh, personally, I have found out who I was by helping start churches, by doing some two-year missions, by having a J-O-B that I went to work every day in a coat and tie. Uh, I've tried all those things, and it was in the doing and trying that I finally began to sort out my vocari. Mm -hmm. it, it was yeah, not in I, sitting around thinking about it. Well, that was my uh, reference a couple of sessions ago here on that uh unique experience of working with emotionally disturbed and delinquent mm. boys. Mm. I had to take the risk of actually mm. seeing if I could do that. And, and it turned out to be a really productive, mm -hmm. insightful, mm -hmm. uh, vocari beginning mm. in my life, actually as a as, well, 19 year old boy. So maybe, maybe to bring it back to a point and begin to sum up here, Jay and I are suggesting to all you guys listening in that your vocari, your calling, uh, the voice of the caller in your life uh, may very well come to you in a quiet time. It may very well come to you in what you would call a spiritual retreat. But it's going to come to you as well, uh, certainly in your own inner life as you deal with uh, perhaps shame, as you deal with perhaps your own stuff on the inside, maybe with the help of a therapy and psychology, it's going to come to you through the community and the people around you, to Jay's last point, to actually go to a camp, Jay, and have other people tell you, hey, young man, you're good at this. 
and then to actually go to work and take seriously your job or your career path or your business, is it fitting into the narrative of the story? Is it answering your deepest, what you call that, shimmering self? Mm -hmm. We can't ignore the role of work in our lives. And then finally, what Jay and I are saying, yes, pursuing the transcendent, pursuing the caller. But we're, we're suggesting a much more holistic view of this than I need a raise or I need a better job. And maybe you need both of those. But you need to get a picture that is more holistic of your vocare. Uh, and all four of those key relationships will be part of that. What, what would you want to add to that or say about that, Jay? You know, I've wanted to... To bring in this Arthur Miller quote, Drew, because uh, <laughs> for <shocked>. those of you <laughs> listeners that are parents uh. with highly gifted children, and some of you have heard this, um, I just want to read this quote because it is an, ex an example of how things can get disintegrated mm. and how they can be... Um, distracted this is this is what arthur miller says in his book the power of uniqueness on the personal and professional fronts many find themselves trading their birthright for a myth and this is the myth as american as apple pie on the fourth of july it is the idea deeply ingrained in the american psyche that one can become and do whatever one wants. Mm. Mm. This is without a doubt one of the greatest lies ever promoted, this fantasy that one can become and do whatever one wants. Man. Now, that's yeah. a pretty powerful indictment, and he goes on to say that one of the reasons there's a, a basic dissatisfaction and distrust in some of our institutions schools yes educational systems government for sure uh, government churches mm -hmm. and too often families because they haven't helped us find our uniqueness and find our place in relation to the world and find our our gift nice and haven't helped us discern our calling but rather have made these general statements especially for bright kids mm. and talented mm. kids mm-hmm we think it's an affirmation to say, oh, you can do anything you yep. want to do. Yep, yep, yep. Rather than giving them specific feedback wow. and mirroring back, you know, you're you're actually not like your big brother at all. Yep, 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 you're, you're You're not like the rest of us in the family. We, uh, we all like to study, and you like to yep. be active. Yeah, and, see, that's and So I'm... I think Miller is just, it's his way of saying, go deep into all of these areas of life and discern a uniqueness that integrates for you mm. rather than assuming that you can find your way by believing this myth. Man. Okay. So we like to say if the reason everyone we believe has a call is because there's a caller. Another way to turn that around is the reason you're unique. To go back to Hillman, you are an acorn. Uh, you're not going to get a, a cherry tree out of an oak acorn. You're going to get an oak. 
And so the reason we are all unique is that there is a creator. We are unique creations because there is a creator. We have a unique calling because there is a caller. Uh, that's a pretty good place maybe to sum up this session three, but you got any last words there, Jay, or something you want to no, say? No, I just gave them to you, Drew. Yeah, that was a great quote. I love it. And I think we may start we may start our last session next time uh, with with that really disturbing quote you have. I think it's from Annie Dillard, but we'll talk about Annie that Dillard. in the next. Yeah, that's a disturbing okay. quote. I can't get it out of that my is. mind. <laughs> but we'll do that next time. So, guys, right. thanks for listening. Jay, thanks for being back. Jay Brenneman. Drew Dotson, thank you guys for listening to this series on vocation from For the City. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with me and with Jay Brenneman about your vocari, your vocation, uh, your calling from the caller. We're going to do a meet and greet in February. Push into these ideas further. All of us get in the same room, so to speak, virtually and talk about these things. If you'd like to sign up for that meet and greet, get more information at forthecity.org forward slash meet. And in that meet and greet, we're gonna float the idea and talk about a cohort that would delve even deeper into vocation, into some of the ideas we've been talking about here at For The City these last uh, couple of months. So if you're interested and would like to go deeper, uh, sign up for the meet and greet in February at forthecity.org forward slash meet. Looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks much for listening in and uh, much love.